By this point in the retreat, I'm sure you've all noticed how remarkably uncooperative your mind can be. And how you sit with this kind of tension between intention and habit, psychological and emotional habits, sitting alongside the intentions you make. Much of this practice is really about uh, developing a quality of intentionality, which then carries forward to be embodied rather than being hijacked by impulse and by habit. And it is really what we do in the practice. You know, when you come to sit, you begin with the intention to be present, to be awake. Hopefully, you begin with that intention. To be present, to be awake, to establish a ground of mindfulness in body or breathing or listening. And then you notice how the the psychological habits of fantasy, daydreaming, narrative um, seem to be more, more powerful, seem to be stronger than actually the intention that you make. We forget. We forget. We forget why we're here. We forget why we're doing what we're doing for a moment. And then we renew the intention. We come back. With practice, with practice, this is one of the major shifts that happens in the practice. That intention begins to hold more power and more strength than habit. And I think it is so important here to be making the parallels between what we're doing in the practice and the rest of our lives. Because there is nothing that happens in the practice in on retreat that doesn't happen elsewhere in our life. And I think the sabotage of intention by habit is a source of incredible frustration for many, many people. That we might have the intention to be kind, to be awake, to be compassionate in our lives until something comes along, you know, that triggers a more habitual pattern. You know, we find ourselves somehow really not, not living in accord, actually, with what we, what we most deeply value and intend. So very much in the practice, we are really training this capacity to follow through on intentionality. Now that is a journey. And you know, by this point in the retreat, you have become so familiar with mental states you know, very often when we talk about the foundations of mindfulness, we, you know, we go through them, body, feeling, mental states, and yet they're not so linear like that. And, and you find when you come on a retreat, your first encounter is with very, very strong embedded habitual mental states. Now, they're familiar to us in our lives, and the Buddha placed tremendous emphasis upon really understanding the factors, the qualities, the states of our heart and mind that really obstruct our capacity to see clearly, to live intentionally, to really understand the the states of mind that really divert us from our path, not only in practice, but in our life. 
And to, to understand these, these kind of veiling factors, really enabling us to find some freedom from them. Now, the, these mental states that you've, you've really been familiar with, uh, you may not have labeled them in that way so far, but um, the mental states that you've encountered, you know, they're very universal. You know, so it's really good not to take them too personally. It's kind of what the mind can do when it's not grounded in clarity and mindfulness. And I know it's, you know, easily, we are easily prone to take it all very personally. You know, I'm so dull. You know, I'm so agitated. I'm like this. But there is a certain universality to this. And I think if you understand that, it allows room for a little bit more compassion and a little bit more wise response rather than blame and shame and scolding of yourself. Now, the universality of these states, you know, let, let's just look at them, you know. The, the sensual craving, the aversion, the sloth and torpor, the restlessness and worry, the doubt. Now, people can create very unhelpful attitudes towards these mental states. And, you know, sometimes if you're new to practice and you get, you know, like an attack of sloth and torpor or an attack of restlessness, you know, there's that tendency to get kind of a little bit panicked, you know, I must be doing something wrong. Um, you know, I, I can't get this. I must be the only one who's experiencing it. That's one unhelpful attitude. The un un other unhelpful attitude, and I might particularly say for those of you who have more experience in practice, because you know very well that these unhelpful states kind of lift and ease after a few days, it's very, very easy just to kind of tune out and think, I'm just going to wait them out, you know. Third day, I'll actually wake up and my retreat will start, you know. That's not true, because I think it's so important that we understand that these are our states of mind that really incredibly influence our life. They suffocate awakening. And in reality, only a fully awakened person is free from these states. So practice doesn't begin after they're over. In many ways, they really are the practice. So let's take them seriously. You know, let's take them seriously. Let's really look, because this is where insight begins. This is where the transformation of heart begins. And when the Buddha talked about these, he said to be free of sensual craving is like being free from debt. To be free from aversion is like recovering from an illness. To be free from sloth and torpor is like being released from prison. To be free from restlessness and worry is like being liberated from, from, from domination and oppression. And to be free from doubt, doubt is like crossing a dangerous desert safely. And when the Buddha talked about these states, he actually talked about these five states as being the manifestations of these three key things of greed, ill will, and delusion. So like, think of that. You know, so that's actually the practice. These are like how we see greed, ill will, and delusion is in the form of sloth and torpor and restlessness and worry and doubt and aversion and craving. So in this practice, these states are actually turned into the objects of meditation. They don't interrupt the meditation. They're turned into the objects of the practice. 
So let's just ha look at how we might work with them. I mean, last night I probably talked more than you ever wanted to hear about sensual craving. Huh? But look how it works here. Just look how it works here. I really encourage you to, to spot those moments of insufficiency because they turn into restlessness. If we don't spot them, they turn into restlessness. Whenever we feel we don't have enough or there's a sense of lack, it turns into restlessness. And there's something about turning towards that kind of craving, wanting, hungry creature, that appetite that cannot be satisfied. There's something really skillful about being able to settle into that place rather than trying to fill it up. Hmm? Ah, craving. Look at what happens in the body. What does it feel like? What does it feel like in the mo moment? The appetite that cannot be answered, that disconnects us from where we are and from what is. The answer is actually to recommit to being present. It's to recommit to being present rather than to launch into, into restlessness and worry. The answer is to really question what in this moment is actually lacking. What in this moment is really lacking? The, uh, the, the reverse side of that craving mind, you know, of, of going towards, wanting, is the pushing away. You know, an ill will and aversion can be so familiar to us in our lives in so many different forms. You know, irritability, annoyance, intolerance, judgment, so much of ha unhappiness within it. Now, the, the energy of aversion is to disconnect. The energy of mindfulness is to connect. And the antidote to ill will is kindness. And so much we need to remember this in our practice. So much we need to remember that attitude of softening the places where the mind, the heart becomes hard. Ah, to touch moments of aversion with, kind, with mindfulness is kindness. To touch moments of ill will with curiosity is actually metta and kindness. Being aware that when there's aversion, there's a lot of storytelling. There's a lot of storytelling because we're so trying to justify aversion to ourselves and if we could to the entire world. You know, I am you know, irritated because, because, because you are doing this, you're doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. You know, it's a huge story and it never ends, does it? It never, it never really ends. And so sometimes we really need to pick up those clues of aversion and ill will and how it's really kind of disconnects, alienates us, estranges us, not only from the world around us, but from that capacity that we all have to soften, to find kindness. Now, sloth and torpor, this is the mental state that I really encourage to be very interventionist with. Be very, in, be ruthless. Be ruthless, you know? I mean, sloth and torpor can, has so many elements. It's not just about nodding out in a cushion. It's so much part of many, many difficult mental states like, like depression and, and, you know, uh, feeling cut off. It is really, it, it's so unhelpful 
you know, and being ruthless doesn't mean being judgmental. But it may, means being interventionist, the things we talked about yesterday, you know, stand up. The, you know, by the time, you know, going into sloth and torpor is like going into Ikea, you know. It's, it's like it's a lot easier to get into than to get out of, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like you just need to keep your eye on the exit sign from sloth and torpor, you know. Stand up. You know, stand up, open your eyes, uh, you know, be upright in your posture, you know. Really, just don't participate. Just don't participate because it drains motivation, it drains energy, it makes us so forgetful, you know. When the mind and the heart is really filled with dullness, we become so forgetful. There are so many lost moments. And in a way, we re- the you know energy comes from interest. Energy does come from interest, and so like when there's sloth and torpor, we really need to be so much more uh, almost committed to to being interested, even since what is it? You know, what is dullness? How do we know it? Where is it in my body? Where is it in my mind? You know, with all of these these mental states, it's not only looking where they're present, it's also looking where they're not present. Restlessness and worry. Well, we live in an agitated, worried world, you know. Worried about what might happen. Worried about what comes next. You know, trying to fix everything. Trying to find solutions for everything. Trying to make everything perfect. We can worry about anything, and again, here there is a waterfall of thinking. Um, There's no rest, and in some ways here we really need to calm the thinking, and we need to calm the the, the triggers, you know. If you find that the mind is very agitated, actually, you know, the agitation doesn't calm by actually feeding it more sights, more sounds, more contact. Some ways we actually really need to find what is not agitated, my hand not agitated? Let me pay attention to my hand. You know? Is my foot not agitated? Ah, let me pay attention to my foot. Is listening not agitated? Let me be more present there. To really cultivate, to tweak out in a way the, mom, the places of calmness, where we can find calmness, really know calmness as well as knowing agitation. Because, you know, when, uh, you know, if we don't actually address these mental states, very often we end up in doubt. I often think of doubt as being the fruition of unattended, unattended hindrances. You know, we don't get what we want through craving. Oh, we doubt, you know. We don't manage to fix the world through restlessness and worry. Ah, doubt comes, you know. We don't manage to control things, have what the experience we want. Doubt comes. What is the solution for that? Is there an easy one? I don't think so, you know, because in a way we don't know. We don't know how our path is going to unfold. We don't know how our retreat is going to unfold. We don't know what might actually shift and change, what we might discover within ourselves. And isn't it interesting how we just really are so uncomfortable in not knowing? And that translates, slides into doubt. I want to know. You know, I can't rest, but I really encourage you to rest in not knowing, in a committed not knowing. A committed not knowing. 
then the doubt can begin to calm. Being aware of these states, you cannot help but be aware of them. They will visit you in the practice as they will visit you in your life. Be aware of them, be willing to engage with them, to understand them, to explore them, rather than thinking they're getting in the way of what should be happening. They are happening. Craving is happening. Restlessness is happening. Aversion is happening. To know that this is not a retreat experience, is it? This is a life experience. And this practice is about understanding our life. And knowing that we have within these mental states that come and go, this path of intentionality that we're walking on and can keep returning to. The intention to be awake, the intention to be here, the intention to connect, the intention to be present, that's the intentional path we're walking on. And it doesn't really matter how much these states arise, how much they seem to take us away, we just come back to that path. Ah, yes, here, one moment, here. Commit to one step, to one breath, to one moment of awareness of the body, to let that path really be what you treasure and what you value, and let it be a mirror for all the different mental states that arise. Don't get into a big sort of huge story about them. Know them simply, then come back to that intentionality. Keep it so simple today. Keep it so simple. Okay, so in the sitting, just again relaxing into your body. Just as much as you're able, finding your posture of balance, steadiness. Sensing your body in this moment. there's any areas of tension, just softening them. Feeling yourself sitting upright here. Aware of the sounds, the silence. Aware of the life of your body, the range of sensations, changing nature.
aware of your body breathing. Just the breath breathing itself. Just choosing the ground of your attention, the station of your mindfulness, whether in body or breathing, listening, committing to that focus, an intentional attention. Attending with calmness, with mindfulness.
last few minutes of the sitting in just being as wholeheartedly present as you're able to be. Just renewing your intention to simplify, to be awake.
<clears throat> so today, to have a seamless day, you know, everybody is a little bit more familiar with the environment and more comfortable here. So today is a day to... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.